The Musician's Musician Podcast is brought to you by you. For real. We rely on listener donations to grow the show, so if you'd like to support what we do, you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. Just follow the link in the description. It's super easy because PayPal. A huge thanks to those of you who have already given. We also want to ask if you could be so kind as to rate and subscribe to the program on whatever platform you use to listen to us. It helps the show reach more ears, and we love your feedback. Okay, on to the show. The Musician's Musician Podcast. So, Parker, I was doing some research, as as one does, mm-hmm. for our... Uh, for this episode on Dream Theater, and I discovered something that I thought was, well, we'll get your thought on it first. Okay. Um, Dream Theater is considered to be in the quote big three of progressive metal. Huh. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> okay. Who are the other two? Uh, the other two are Queensrÿche and Fate's Warning. Who said that? <laughs> who, who made this up? <laughs> I, I couldn't find it. That's the problem. <laughs> that sounds like it's fake like, news. Dude, I, I it 100% is. I uh, <laughs> I think it seems like it was posted like published in progarchives.com. Okay. Which like is that a reliable source? <laughs> who knows. I don't know. I'm not one to say. <laughs> um but it's it's there and everyone just kind of seems to like like reference it without it being like there's a there's a Kerrang article which like Lord knows that's not accurate. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> um, but like yes, I just, people made this up and it's a thing. But uh, just for but it's not a thing. Just for those who are unaware, there is a thing in metal called the Big Four of thrash metal, who which is Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer. And there is a there's a whole like lineage conversation for why that's significant, and that it is actually like, uh, you you know, I guess a little more academically makes sense. But this big three thing is a little, little bit of a curveball. That's weird. So we're not we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna rely on that one. But yeah, I'm not. no you uh, like musicologists could argue the big four is very important. Yeah, but uh, not this. Yeah, I um, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so uh, but you know, even even though that this list, I love lists. I love lists of lists, but this is not a list that I approve of. Yeah. Um, not that I'm an authority on anything, but <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, Dream Theater is a really important band, notwithstanding the bogus nature of this list. Yeah. Um, Dream Theater is a progressive metal band, and that's who we're talking about today. Yeah, it's significant because they're a significant band. If for a lot of reasons, of which we will enumerate shortly. Uh, but also, they're a very important band for you and I. And developmentally, it was it was a very important discovery. And I know that it was for you. And mm-hmm. But that is the case with a lot of people with Dream Theater. And uh, obviously, in terms of their space, we're talking you know, more about progressive metal. Um of course, the tentacles of that music have reached into more than just that space, as pretty much everything does. But 
Uh, that's that is why we're wanting to do dream, talk about Dream Theater is because obviously personally they're very important for us, but they they are a very important band for a lot of music that has happened since their inception. Yeah, I I will make a quick note if you're looking to get into metal, <laughs> uh, Dream Theater is actually a really good entry point. Um, is there's very very little harsh language in either word choice or harsh vocals, right? Yeah, so. Kind of a fun fact for you, um, if you want to get the the metal thing without the, uh, you know, the hard parts of it. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, Dream Theater is super impactful, and we're just going to kind of dive in. There's a lot to talk about, and so we kind of got to breeze through some of these things. I hope not to wax philosophical <laughs> um, about their, uh, their history, but they're an important band for both of us, and um, they're... Their genesis at Berkeley College of Music in 1985 um, is actually kind of important for me. I actually played a Dream Theater song at my Berkeley audition, which was... Oh, what one did you do? Uh, I played Hell's Kitchen. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was... Uh, it, you got me in. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It works. Um, but um, yeah, it started out... Uh, they started out under the name Majesty, which was John Petrucci, John Mayung, and Mike Portnoy. Um, respectively, guitar, bass, and drums. They uh, were studying at Berkeley College of Music in Boston at the time, and their band was like seemingly going well, so they dropped out. A lot of people don't go to Berkeley to graduate; they go to <laughs> they go to get and, gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, expensive place to get gigs, but it works. Yeah. Um, but they found. Um, they found a couple more people. So, cause that's a trio guitar, bass and drums and, um, has always been a big part of dream theater, but dream theater has always really been a five piece band. And so they initially got Chris Collins to sing and, um, a keyboardist named Kevin Moore. So they were playing under the name majesty until like 1988. Eight, maybe late 87 and from there they started going by the name dream theater about that time uh chris collins parted ways with the band and they got a vocalist named charlie dominici and then in 1991 they started working with james labrie who is the vocalist who has been with the band since not too long later uh 1980 1995 they started working with a keyboardist named Derek Shrinian. Uh, both Kevin Moore and Derek Shrinian are both great keyboard players, um, but neither of them have been with the band for too terribly long. And in 1999, the band started playing with a keyboard player named Jordan Rudess, who is a phenomenal player as well and has been with the band to this day. So we kind of have like this this very popular era of dream theater from like 1999 to like 2010. And at that point in late 2010, uh, drummer Mike Portnoy, who is a founding member leaves the band and Mike Mangini, who was actually, you know, another connection to Berkeley was a drum professor at, at Berkeley. He started playing with the band and there was like a whole, whole big to do like the whole progressive metal community at large was was very uh i'll say 
invested in uh yeah in well the, how they, this turned out they also made it a very public affair like it was it was you know kind of bordering on reality tv style sort of <laughs> thing where the yeah yeah well mike portnoy had been like filling in for the rev in Avenged sevenfold yeah. and like there was all sorts of drama there and then yeah right <laughs> i mean i i i consumed the hell out of it i mean i i <laughs> i was all over it you know if there was if there was a a genre of media that i was very interested in it was that <laughs> yeah so. could not have cared less about any other drama but that drama did it for me in that yeah. at that time <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but um yeah you can you can probably still go watch that stuff on youtube they um they auditioned several several world class drummers yeah. everyone in that list, in that running was out of this world yep but uh mike mangini got the gig and has been with them since. So Dream Theater has put out 15 studio albums, a number of other EPs and singles and live albums. They have been putting out music consistently. Um, usually, I don't know, I'd say an average of like every two years. That sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, it's, it's usually two years. Sometimes it's three. Sometimes it's one. Um... It's slowed down. No, actually, it hasn't really slowed down. It's been pretty consistent since 1989. Yeah, with When Dream and Day Unite, um, they've really they've really been consistent about it. But in all of that time, they have consistently progressed as a band. And being one of the first progressive metal bands, they have really tried to be progressive right. in the full sense of the word. You know, not just like creating the sound that they just repeat over and over again but that's you know some may disagree with that but that's a it's another story <laughs> um but yeah if you listen to like images and words their second album um that's going to sound very different from like distance over time like their second to second to latest album so there there's been a huge amount of development in the band members and in their sound and their writing styles. And so over this, what is it like? Like a 30 37? Seven? Yeah. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that this this very long period of time, they have continued to develop and um you know, they, they kind of have some like distinct sort of eras of dream theater hmm. i would like to say i don't know that we can like put labels on stuff when we've like pooped on the <laughs> big three of progressive metal but um but yeah there's like kind of like a beginning era middle era and like a latest era yeah i guess the mangini era yeah there we go yeah <laughs> <laughs> that checks out yeah and none of them are bad none of them are better or worse than the others it's just you can you kind of like have like stints of development in different sorts of ways. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. They have been uh, extremely influential, and we don't want to spend too much time on that. We really want to spend a lot more of our time on the sound um, because they have been so influential with their sound, in particular. So to. Sort of start getting into that. Let's talk a little bit about what was influential on the group. There are obviously with 
bands like this going to be bands and musicians that are influential individually that is to say on individual members and then there's going to be groups and musicians that are collectively influential on the group so I, some bands that we might say more collectively that are influential are people like rush or yes or even floyd uh you, that is pink floyd <laughs> um for those of you not hip to the uh abbreviations yeah because i you know i'm super <laughs> hip and then there's also kind of the more like quote unquote speed metal bands which are going to be bands like iron maiden or judas priest or motorhead uh but then there's also going to be Kind of the more popular bands, sort of of the time when they were getting going, uh, like Journey or U2. Um, but, you know, and then there's going to be influences kind of scattered all over the place. And I think significantly, John Petrucci, more specifically, who's the guitar player and, you know, one of the uh, most notable writers for the band, is very influenced by people like Steve Morris and Al Miola and Alan Holdsworth, who are kind of in this fusion-ish sort of world, uh, but also people like Ingve Malmsteen, who's like the OG uh, Shred Master, one of well, one of the OG Shred Masters, uh, but you know, also like Eddie Van Halen and David Gilmore, and you know, list your guitar god, and, and the, you know, they they were an important person for John Petrucci, so. All of these sounds do very much come together to give us the Dream Theater sound, but the Dream Theater sound is nevertheless a very distinct thing. So when we're talking about their influences too, I think it's important to note that there are some more like compositional influences as well. Like they're they're listening to a lot of these like popular and like progressive and fusion players, but also there's a lot of classical stuff that's going on there. Like they're pulling a lot from from various classical traditions, um, not just like harmonically and rhythmically, but also compositionally. Mm. And when you look at how they're like structuring their songs and structuring their albums, that is reminiscent of a lot of more classical style mm. composition than um, like your standard, you know album by the who yeah nice so <laughs> but yeah totally and you know you're gonna see with their like scenes they're kind of gonna cross over into like the progressive and metal and like kind of back and forth like they're gonna tour with iron maiden um but then they're also gonna tour with like opeth right you know so there's a lot of variability in their sound um but there's also some things that definitely, you know, are these like guiding stars for them, and metal being one of them, and um, kind of the quote unquote progressive thing being another. Sure. But yeah, philosophies are kind of gonna help help them pursue these different things that they're after because they're like like we said earlier, they're kind of these different developmental eras almost. And they, you know, we, we talk a lot about like the, uh, instrumentation, but, um, Dream Theater also is not just an instrumental band, unlike many of the bands that we've talked about right. on this podcast. Um, 
And one of the philosophies that they've kind of focused on is their lyrical content. And one of those things is they're they're not, you know, even though they are pulling a bunch of uh, uh, influence from Journey, you're not going to hear like a love song right. like, uh, like you would, you know, like no faithfully here. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but that said, you're going to hear some deeply personal things and the band members have used this as an outlet for deeply uh, impactful uh, periods of time that they've gone through. Uh, for example, Mike, Mike Portnoy uh, struggled with alcoholism and over very, like, kind of a very progressive way to do this um, has a series of songs that are spread over several albums that like go through his personal um, his personal journey through the 12 steps of recovery. And you hear that musically and lyrically and it's uh, it kind of becomes its own work in and of itself. Um, like kind of a, a like a meta album almost that you know you could put those songs together rather than you know listening to their respective albums um but then you're gonna have you know stuff off systematic chaos where they have like a pharaoh that returns to curse the earth or something right you know very iron maiden yeah but so yeah there there's there's a lot of stuff that philosophically is guided their lyrical content that makes it not quite so like uh, rainbows and dragons, sort of. Not 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 a Dio thing. No, yeah. not a not a Dio <laughs> thing. No, uh, no Lord of the Rings here. Yeah, but um, but it's no. There's a little fantasy every once in a while, yeah. and then there's like, uh, you know, six degrees of inner turbulence where they talk about mental illness. Yeah, and uh, like very, uh, very difficult subjects. Um, to you know, for society. And for individuals, right? But, but yeah, but musically, there are also some philosophies. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all I would want to add is just that they are all very adept instrumentalists. They, you know, intellectually are able to interact with one another about the music and musical decisions, and are able to do so technically. Um, which does have a huge impact on on their music. I mean, if, if you've listened to Dream Theater before, or if you go and check them out after listening to this episode, you will hear that there is a lot going on, um, and it's and it's not like a haphazard decision. So um, there's a lot more we could say about that, but let's actually talk about a little more specifically what we're talking about here. So Max, can you get us a little bit into understanding? The instrumentation of this group, how that translates into what we're actually hearing and all of that. Totally. So we talked about a lot of like classic quote unquote rock metal band instrumentation, you know, like guitar, bass, drums, vocals. And a lot of times there are two guitar players, but Dream Theater puts a bit of a spin on that. And you'll see this in Fusion. You'll see this in a lot of like, you know, popular bands, even like particularly throughout the 80s, like Journey is the same instrumentation, for example. Um, but we've got guitar, bass, drums, keyboard, and vocals. So that keyboard functions very similarly to that second guitar, but I would go so far as to say that it gives you more flexibility and more um, more options, really. Because hmm. that when you're listening to Dream Theater and you hear like 
like a string ensemble, more than likely that's Jordan Rudess right. play, playing that on a keyboard. Um, and he's got he's got synthesizers on top of synthesizers. Um, he has uh, apps on his tablet. He has weird things. I mean, he's he's got a, like, a very slim down rig compared to like, oh gosh, like uh, Rick Wakeman, you know, mm. from Yes. Yeah. Um, way easier to move around than that whole thing. But <laughs> um, there's still a lot of instruments that he's playing, you know, f- like physical different things. So he's adding a lot to the sound that's very, very specific. John Petrucci is playing six, seven, and eight string guitars. You know, not just in standard tuning either. Sometimes he plays in a baritone, uh, like lower tuning. Yeah. That's also important along with John Myung, the bass player, playing uh, a six-string bass. So, like, everyone has a lot of of range, tonally and in pitch. So right. they can cover things and be very um, very creative in how they are filling the sonic space. And their arrangements are very, very good. Yeah. Like, you hear that throughout all of their music. So... The, they really take advantage of the instrumentation, and that's really one of the things that allows them to create this sound and has made it so desirably mimicable. Yeah, I mean, and just to speak too to like the cut down nature of things, like <laughs> you know, if you if you look at old videos of John Petrucci, I mean, everybody has always been really interested in John Petrucci's sound, um, and in the old days. I mean, in old days, meaning like this really only has changed in the last maybe 10 years. Um, but before then, I mean, John Petrucci's rig was ridiculous. Like just these two huge racks of processing equipment for his sound, which he has a fantastic wall of sound. I mean, it's a, it, a lot of people, especially in the metal world, try and dial in something akin to the John Petrucci sound. But... You know, similarly to Jordan Rudess, where it's like, you just don't need all of that equipment anymore. A lot of it has been cut down into just a unit or two. So John Petrucci's rig now is like, I think it is just like one, you know, reasonably sized box. Not to you know, the Axe FX three, baby. Yeah, and and not <laughs> not to mention the cabs he has. But I mean, that's basically all that's going on with a couple of little exceptions right he might not even be using the cabs to be honest i wonder you know yeah a lot of bands aren't doing that anymore it's like really low stage volume in-ear monitors yeah it's with you know you go straight to front of house and get your uh, mix back with the like the behringer x32 prime slick yep. so uh you know that that's all well and good the other thing to mention too uh, just on vocals, very briefly, um, James Labrie very much is doing sort of that, uh, you know, he has in the higher register, a lot of vibrato kind of sound, very reminiscent of a lot of things happening at the time, um, and has been very influential for a lot of power metal, for sure. So, Absolutely. Very high vocal. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, we've, we've got... We've got these different parts. Their sound, kind of on a macro level, is very aggressive, very, very metal, very heavy. But then also, 
extremely vulnerable and very, very sweet and like soft at times. Yeah. You know, they go through the whole range. And I, I, I don't want to give the impression that they are just like purely all metal all the time. Yeah. Because that's just not the case. Like, they're very, very good at, I'll say, making the music fit, or like, I guess making the music take you on a journey that the lyrics themselves can't take you on. Yeah. You know, it's it's very similar to like our film score composers that we've talked about. Yeah. Right? So you're going to go from like, like solo piano to like, I mean, it's it's similar to Between the Buried and Me, you know? Like you, you have this like huge, huge stylistic range, but Dream Theater does it actually, I don't know, I really do think it's very cinematic. Yeah, and such is the case with a lot of progressive music too, right? Like a lot of, because yeah. a lot of progressive bands, not always, but it's not uncommon that they'll explore the concept album thing and they very much do make an effort to, like tell a story with the music as much as with the lyrics, if not if not more with the music a lot of times, where they, they let that do a lot of the heavy lifting. And I mean with Dream Theater too, you like they they very frequently thematically will quote themselves. Like even even from riffs or different moments from previous albums, mm-hmm. there'll be little bursts of that in, you know, several albums after the fact, right? So they're they're very aware and conscientious of like motific devices and and actually like really really sculpting out like a piece rather than having it just be a you know typical popular standard music song form not that there's anything wrong with that it's just not necessarily what they're doing 100 percent. so there's a lot of interesting things to say rhythmically with the music and this would be a huge topic to unpack as is <laughs> the case with everybody i mean you could do a dissertation on most of the people we we talk about here. So, but just very superficially, um, rhythmically, there's a lot of interest happening with time signatures, but then also with how they play with time within those interesting time signatures. Uh, and so we talk. We've talked a lot about syncopation, which is to say there are different things that you do with rhythms on top of other rhythms and how those are interacting with one another. And given that everybody in the band is so adept at their instruments and they're all so tuned in with one another, there's a lot of really interesting things happening in terms of the tension that they build amongst one another, but also in that they are able to really just dial into one another and do things, uh, you know, as a collective a lot of times. So rhythmically, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of really interesting things happening. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that, Max? Um, I, I think it kind of goes from like, you know, they're, they're doing like straight up like metal style rhythms a lot. Yeah. But then also <clears throat> they really get into that, like, which really does it for me is it's like that shifting a uh, time signature thing that you get in like like a lot of yes and king crimson style mm. music you know mm-hmm. they're like you know it sometimes it's like very straight ahead sometimes it's very um like they're changing time signatures a lot sometimes they're doing the mashuga thing where it's like 
weird time signatures, but it feels right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they do things that are just like for the sake of being hard. Yeah. Which like <laughs> usually you don't get points for that, but like Dream Theater fans say that you do. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of a point of contention amongst people who are aware of Dream Theater. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. But for the most part, I mean. And maybe maybe I'm just biased because like I've been listening to like progressive music since I was in early elementary school, like weird progressive music. Um, I feel like they do a really, really good job of making these rhythms accessible. Yeah. Um, like their time signature changes, they're like polymeter, like all like all the weird things that like if you analyze it, like that's wacky. Uh they do a really good job, I think, of making it Something that like an average listener can be like, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I I kind of end up end up taking the stance of you know why not? I mean if if that's what you want your thing to be like of exploiting what you can do as an ensemble and what you can do with your instrument, like why why not? You know. <laughs> yeah, you you gotta have a shtick. Yeah, and <laughs> this is theirs. Yeah, and so. You know, in my opinion, most of the intrigue lies in the rhythm. It's not to say that harmonically they're duds. They yeah. uh, they definitely have a very firm understanding of how harmony works, but it's not like they're reaching super hard harmonically. So they will very typically have a clear key center and it's not super hard to hear. I mean, sometimes they will make some choices with a a riff or they, you know, they'll have like some pseudo predictable uh key changes and things like that that will happen, but it's nothing that's like earth-shattering. It's not like a lot of the more uh jazz-leaning musicians who we've talked about where the harmonic intrigue really is pretty advanced. Um I, you know, it, it might get a little bit convoluted sometimes just because a lot of the goods happen just purely in the technical chops of all of these players, where it might sound like just because there is such a, a an eternal string of notes happening that the harmony might get a little lost in that just because it's just going and going and going. <laughs> um, but there's always going to be analytically a very clear harmonic structure backing all of that up totally now i do want to make a note that this is very very different from mashuga so yes. if you were to listen to like how we've described both of like rhythm and harmony for both of these artists it would sound like we've described the same thing but it is not yeah. like mashuga is all about the rhythm and you know like you know you're in you're in uh f in the key of f like super low you know, like nebulous, like a little bit, but like you're, you know, mostly playing in like one key. Dream Theater is doing the same thing, but it's not like, it's not like this chug, genty, like rhythmic thing going on. Like their rhythmic differences and stuff is like so much more, so much more like Rush. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we're not trying to like do, uh, you know, binary code in uh right just yeah <laughs> in the guitar tracks uh so yeah it's it's it, it, give them a listen like it's metal but it's not like extreme metal yeah like not at all like that very accessible so 
they're they are similar to Meshuggah in a couple of ways, but that's kind of like in meta sort yeah. of like, oh yes, it's cerebral and like guitar heavy and whatever, and they both have distortion and difficult rhythms. But once you get past that, there are a lot more bands that are a lot more similar to Dream Theater. Um, and I think there are kind of two camps of this. There, well, maybe three. There are the bands that are like kind of contemporary ish to Dream Theater. They're the bands that are products of Dream Theater. And then there are the bands, well, maybe I should say guitarists that are products of John Petrucci. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Him being definitely the most well known of, uh, of the band members. Yeah. Um, but Parker, like who, who would you say is similar to Dream Theater? Yeah. I mean, you know, someone who we've, I don't, it's hard to say similar, but I guess in this, in a similar camp, uh, are people like Devin Townsend, who we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Opeth is a band that comes to mind. Another great prog giant. Um, but I also think of, you know, between the buried and me, who we've also talked about before. Totally. Um, you know, there's like porcupine tree. There's like a, there's a handful of like progressive rock metal ish bands that, I'd say are kind of similar in, in a lot of conceptual ways. Uh, but I don't know. What, what about, who are some people you think of? Um, I think of, I think of bands like Periphery, mm. um, you know, with uh, particularly even with Jake Bowen, one of the guitar players being the nephew of John Petrucci. Um, but very guitar heavy, but like long song structures and like incorporating synths and stuff. Yeah. A lot, a lot of, a lot of similar similarities in many ways. Um, I think of bands like Animals as Leaders being like uh, products of John Petrucci. Yeah. In ways like Toast Nabasi is like just like very well known to be a um, to be extremely influenced by John Petrucci. And then you have bands like Nevermore, mm. which are like much more metal, but um, definitely pull more than just the John Petrucci isms. Like they're also pulling some of the song structure, they're also pulling. Um, lots of the uh, like kind of motific and you know other songwriting devices that Dream Theater is doing. Well, yeah, and and like Jeff Loomis is definitely like a post Petrucci guitar oh, yeah, player, 100%, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but yeah, so there's there are a lot of bands, and like that's just just a small like small sample. Yeah, uh, John Petrucci is extremely extremely influential but all the band members have been yeah you know uh, mike portnoy obviously is um very uh very well known um mike mangini as well you know jordan rudess uh john myung has really stayed kind of in the in the shadows even being the giant that he is yeah and and like you said uh james labrie has been very very influential to a lot of uh like power metal vocalists yeah so but yeah, there's a lot of ways to get into them, though, which you should. Yeah. And uh, they're first and foremost uh, an album band. Yeah. Listen to the records. Um, they've got a lot. Uh, they've got a lot of albums. So, you know, you kind of span, you know, if you like a kind of an older style production sound, go for the older stuff. Like, this starts to get very, very modern in like the early 2000s and stays and continues to get more modern feeling yeah. production. but. Um, 
But yeah, listen to go look their stuff up on YouTube. They have live performance videos, and um, they're they're extremely extremely uh, consistent players. Yeah. So, but uh, short of seeing them live, check out the records in Parker. What would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, Train of Thought was, oh, was and still is probably my favorite album of theirs. For a lot, it's so good. For a lot of reasons. I mean, I think it's. I feel like it's probably their heaviest album. Oh, it, it is, and and that I think that's yeah. in large part why I kind of tend to lean towards whatever, <laughs> whatever that is. Uh, but also, I I had discovered Dream Theater right before Systematic Chaos came out, and um, I got like really excited about it just because it was like I had just discovered like a new guitar god and. Uh, you know, I was really interested in whatever else they were going to put out next. I mean, Systematic Chaos is a great album, but there's so much nostalgia tied to it for me that I don't know if I really could objectively say whether or not it is one of their better albums. Uh, but it, it, it is a killer album. So I'd say those yeah. are my, my two picks. But what, what about you? Yeah, great, great picks. I love both those albums. Um, I, gosh... Uh, Dream, I think Dream Theater does a lot of different things for different people. You know, like sometimes it's like the heaviness, sometimes it's like the like progressive sort of thing or whatever. Um, for me, I really love like I love specific songs on lots of records or even like groups of songs on lots of records. But I think the ones the like beginning to end do it for me the most, at least, are probably Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. And Octavarium. Mm. Nice. And like that. Thanks. Yeah. That, I mean, that definitely speaks to like that. Uh, it's not not a far reach for the guy, for the kid who is listening to uh, Tales from Topographic Oceans by Yes in third grade. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, great records. Um, also, you know, not we're not going to put these as picks, but like if you're going to listen to like the early stuff, um, Images and Words is uh like a super super like important album and you know if you're gonna listen to the more recent stuff their most recent album is a view from the top of the world released uh last year 2021 yeah so lots of really really great stuff and uh quite a spectrum you know even within an album but like across their catalog so we hope you listen to them but first we will give our formal defense of the artist Virtuosic musicians are not a novel phenomenon. Music history is riddled with players and composers who would up the ante from the previous generation again and again. However, the 20th century was an interesting leap due to the rapid development of electric instruments, particularly the electric guitar and a myriad of keyboards and synthesizers. This, in tandem with cultural movements that broadened the sonic space, gifted us some wild talent. Not too long after rock and roll began its development, the genus Progressive Metal sprouted up and gave us some amazing, and weird, creations. One of the giants of this music is Dream Theater, and their success can be attributed to a number of things, but not least of which is their sound. The Dream Theater team emerged at a time when thrash metal had been thriving and virtuosity in a number of novel spaces was capturing public interest. So what to do? Make a band that shreds like few others at the time and tap into the appealing heaviness of the big four. 
Now, by this time, there were some progressive bands that had some mean chops, but few, if any, could pull off the blistering incandescent ensemble passage that this erudite troupe was churning out. Were things like this unheard of in the music world at large? Of course not. But what they did was tap into an audience that loved to rock out, but also loved to have their heads explode from unceasing shred. In other words, Dream Theater's fan base is all over the place. The Berkeley-born band changed the game for a lot of people. Much of the advent of virtuosic metal and rock music is, at least in part, due to the escapades of these perpetual practice machines. What they elaborated on was the ability to extend, morph, or subvert song forms, go to shred town for as long as they damn well please, chug a mean riff, cast a diaphanous verse, and show no sign of phoning it in. Not everyone wants a chain of 11-minute odysseys as part of their day, but for those that do, there are few better places to go. So thanks for listening. We hope you love Dream Theater. They've been extremely important for us and countless musicians of various genres and instruments. So we hope you check them out, and we hope you tell us what you like about them. Uh, Not only that, let us know what you like about this episode. Tell us who you think we should be covering next. We've got some really cool things in the pipeline, but... We really would like to put out what you want to hear. So send us an email at themusiciansmusicianpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at TMMPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can go to our website where you can contact us, read the defense of the artists, listen to episodes, check out our picks, and even donate to the growth of the podcast. So we hope you love Dream Theater. And until next time, thanks.